2 Timothy chapter 1. Now as you're turning there, by way of background, you know that as you read the book of Acts and the missionary journeys of Paul, the historians conclude that those missionary journeys took place in approximately in the years about 47 to 57 A.D. From the years of 57 to 60 A.D., Paul was slowly making his way through the court system as he was arrested in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 21 tells us how Paul was falsely accused of taking Gentiles into the temple in the holy city of Jerusalem. He would then begin to go through a series of trials, this legal nightmare, which consisted of a number of trials, uh, took place before the religious leaders in Israel, before two governors in Caesarea, before uh, King Agrippa in the amphitheater in Caesarea. And as the apostle is a Roman citizen, he would then appeal to Caesar. They said, to Caesar, you shall go. The book of Acts ends with Paul ultimately arriving in Rome. And for two years, in the years 61 and 62, Paul would be held under house arrest in Rome. He would have his own quarters. He was free to have visitors. But we also know from scripture that he would be chained to a Roman guard. It is during those two years that Paul was waiting to go on trial before the emperor that he wrote the prison epistles of Philemon and Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians. And in those epistles, Paul would write that I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And Father, as we continue here and we see Paul in this second imprisonment, that there is so much here for us as we look at the backdrop of what has taken place that I pray that we would sense the heart of Paul as he's writing to a young man that he loved very much, a son in the faith. And Lord, that we would learn and that we would be encouraged because the things that they were facing are some of the things that we face as well. So Lord, help us hear the heartbeat, your heart in this epistle, in this few verses that we're going to go over this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Paul would face Caesar Nero. That uh, trial there before the emperor is not recorded in the scriptures. It would be recorded, of course, in the Roman records. We know that Paul would be acquitted. He would be let go. And probably one of the reasons he was let go is because Rome at this time historically took very, very serious that the accusers against someone in a crime had to be there to testify. I doubt very much if those accusers in Jerusalem would show up in Rome to testify against Paul the Apostle. As he is released from that first imprisonment, we know from 62 to 67 AD that Paul traveled more or less freely. Perhaps he went to Spain. We know that at the end of the book of Romans, at the end of his third missionary journey before he goes to Jerusalem, that he had written to those Christians that his desire was to go to Spain. But we do know that during that time, he would leave Timothy in Ephesus to pastor the church there, a church that Paul has started on his third missionary journey. Paul's other young protege, Titus, would be left in Crete to pastor the church there. And Paul would write each of them a letter we finished one of those letters last week, First Timothy, and it was a wonderful letter that we learned much from. Timothy was instructed in church conduct. He was encouraged in his own walk. He was told to be an example to the believers. 
He was told to give attention to reading, doctrine, exhortation. He's told to take heed to himself. And Paul would write to Titus, and some of the same kinds of things were given to him as well. And so in First and Second Timothy, along with Titus, are what we call the pastoral epistles. So the dates that Paul would write to Titus in First Timothy would be around 63, 64 A.D. It would be later on in 67 A.D., that Paul would be rearrested by Caesar Nero that had started this wave of persecution against the Christians. Paul would then be put into this deep, dark dungeon. It was a terrible place. And it is here that Paul would write to Timothy a second letter that we're going to be studying over the last or the next few weeks. In this last epistle that we have recorded of Paul in the New Testament, he writes this right before the emperor, Caesar Nero, gives the order to have Paul to be beheaded. Nero has begun persecution against the Christians that would begin in about 64 AD after Paul would stand before the emperor. We know that from history that Caesar Nero would burn the city of Rome down. He would blame the Christians. The Christians are being arrested. They are being martyred. They're being burned at the stake. They're being fed to the lions. The Jewish wars have begun in 66 A.D., which would lead to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., where Titus and the Roman legions would surround Jerusalem, and they would level the city. They would level the second temple, the magnificent temple, to where not one stone was left upon another, just as Jesus said would happen. Josephus, the Jewish historian, writes that at that time, that 1.1 million Jews were killed in that assault against Jerusalem. 100,000 of them were taken off into slavery back to Rome. It is very, very difficult days as Paul's writing this letter. More difficult than when Paul wrote his first letter to Timothy in about 63 AD, as I mentioned. As we know that Nero, as he went insane and as he's uh, arresting the Christians, he's persecuting the leaders as well. He would have Paul arrested and dropped into this manorteen dungeon, which was a cistern, a hole, a pit dug out of uh, the ground that Paul would be uh, dropped into. It would be cold. It would be damp. It would be wet. Not much different than what Jeremiah experienced as we're going through the book of Jeremiah uh, some 600 years before this time. It seems as though, as Paul is here in Rome in his second imprisonment, that Luke has access to Paul. Perhaps it was because that he was a physician. But we know that Luke was very faithful to Paul, suffered alongside of Paul as well. This epistle, as we look at it very carefully, is full of emotion. And as we read it, Paul spending his last days in that dark and cold and and damp place, knowing that he's going to be executed. Paul uses words in this epistle, 77 of them, that he doesn't use in any other epistle. And as he writes, I think that Paul writes this as we hear his heart with tears that come from Paul. And certainly Timothy would read it with tears. As we go through this letter carefully, we will see that Paul is not giving so much time spending and and covering and instructing Timothy in church conduct, how to minister as a pastor, how to administrate the church, or how to select leadership or to deal with different people in the church, 
all these things that he covered very carefully as we saw going through those six chapters of 1 Timothy. But rather, Paul will focus on encouraging Timothy to keep going. Timothy, you press on. Timothy, you continue to strive for godliness. Continue in the faith. Something that Paul the Apostle had done for so many years prior to this and been a wonderful example of. Paul knows that his life is coming to an end because he will write, For my departure is at hand, Timothy, and I have fought the good fight, and I have finished my race, and I have kept the faith. And he knew that there was a crown of righteousness that was laid up for him. And Paul will speak of the faithfulness of God in his life. So here Paul in this dark, damp dungeon, in this cistern, in this manertine dungeon, he picks up his pen, puts it to parchment for the very last time. As he writes in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. So in typical fashion, Paul begins this letter by identifying himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. It is a reminder that Timothy didn't really need. Timothy knew that Paul was an apostle. He had been with Paul and ministering with him for so many years, about 20 years at this point. It was Timothy that was encouraged in ministry. As Timothy, he learned from Paul. As he traveled with Paul, he was faithful to Paul. And he would be one that would be encouraged and taught by Paul, discipled by Paul. We know that Timothy, as he learned so much from Paul, he knew that Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ. And we know that Paul and Timothy, we see in the pages of Scripture, and we will see it particularly in this epistle, that they were very, very close. Paul writes in verse 2, we're going to read that, Timothy, you're a beloved son. And you recall in 1 Timothy, in that letter, he begins by saying that, Timothy, you're a true son in the faith. And so Paul and Timothy were very, very close. They had a strong bond. Timothy was very aware of God's calling in Paul's life. He knew that he was sent out to give the gospel. And the reason that I believe that Paul, once again, for the last time, identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, he didn't say, you know that I'm an apostle, Timothy. I, I need to remind you of this. Timothy knew that. But he says that I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by God's will. And again, to remind you that the word apostle means sent out one. Paul was sent out by the Lord over all those years as one who would proclaim the gospel. He would be sent out with a message as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. He would establish doctrine. And his going forth is now coming to an end. And he's going to be going home to be with the Lord soon. And all through his missionary journeys that Paul took, all the churches that he established, and all the letters that he wrote to the Christians inspired by God, all the people that got saved through Paul's ministry, all the young guys such as Timothy and Titus that he discipled throughout all the years. And now he's at the end of his life, and he never forgot that his ministry was from the Lord that his ministry was for the Lord. And his ministry was according to the will of the Lord. Paul never forgot that. And so he writes for the very last time 
that I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And Paul just lived in that confidence the entire time that the Lord called him to ministry that would begin clear back on his conversion there on the road to Damascus that we read about in Acts chapter 9. And I think that as we consider this, that it's a great encouragement for you and for me that we would remember this, that whatever the Lord has called you to do, wherever he has placed you and opportunities given to you, the giftings that he has bestowed upon you, that whatever ministry that he has for you as you live for him, that it is by his will and by his calling. You see, it's not by our own calling, our own will. Me as a pastor, as I have the privilege to pastor this church and for nearly 24 years, I know that it is by the will of God, his calling for me in my life. I've never seen it as a job. I've never seen it as a career. I've never seen it as a way to get popular. I've never even seen it as a way to, to help people. And don't misunderstand me. I want to help people. But I know that it is God's will for my life. And he has been faithful to me. And it is God's will for your life and whatever he has for you to work in you both the will and to do of his good pleasures, that promise that is given to us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. And you see, if we forget that, if we forget whatever the Lord is doing in your life, that is by his will and his calling and his enabling, what will happen is you will get tired. And you will be tossed to and fro, wavering, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? You'll be questioning. You'll be all confused. And as you remember that God is working in your life, placing you where he wants you to be, as you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, that as you always keep that in the forefront of your mind and, and deep in your heart, you will endure hardship. As you remember that the Lord will be faithful to you. You see, the other side of the spectrum, too, is if we forget it's by his calling and by his will, we can get prideful. We can think that I deserve this ministry. And I know that none of us, that we have that mindset. I hope we don't. Because whenever we think that we deserve ministry, you've lost your ministry. It is only by your grace, Lord, and it is all grace. And it's only by your love and faithfulness to me that I can do what you've called me to do. So I believe that Paul writes for the last time an apostle of Jesus Christ by his will because he would never forget it was the will of God. And secondly, I believe that Paul once again mentions that he's an apostle because he was very much aware that he is writing to Timothy primarily, yes, ultimately, but also to a much wider audience, which would include us 2,000 years later. We have the privilege to read this letter that he wrote to Timothy. And as we move on, one of the things that I see before we do that in this opening salutation is Paul knows that he's only days away from his death. And here Paul is talking about life. He's talking about the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. And Paul, you got to understand, is in a terrible, terrible place. And this one who has been faithful to the calling of God that was given to him, he has done so much in establishing the early church, the given us truth that benefit us today. And here, 
as he talks about not being ashamed of the gospel. And Timothy, you don't be ashamed. And don't be ashamed of my chains. Timothy, you stand fast. And you be strong in grace. And you keep ministering, Timothy, and what God has called you to do. And he just encourages and continues to exhort Timothy in his ministry and in his life. And as Paul is in this pit, he's not all depressed. He's not downcast. He isn't murmuring and complaining about his situation. Because he's standing on the faithfulness of the Lord. And he's remembering the promise of eternal life that is in Christ Jesus. And I want to remind all of you that are here today or listening in. That eternal life is found in Jesus Christ alone. That Jesus alone went to the cross and died for your sins because of his love for you. And he rose again after three days and he's alive and he proved that he's the son of God. And as we come to him and call upon him, that we have the promise of eternal life. And that is the reason that Paul, I believe, is he has eternal life in remembrance in his heart that he was able to finish his race as he would say, keep fighting the good fight, Timothy, because he knew that his calling was from God who would enable him to do it. And he would write some five years before this that being confident, I'm of absolute certainty that being confident of this very thing, that he, that is God who's begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And secondly, he kept his eyes on the prize and he would run his race and he would do it with joy and he would run his race for the prize being heaven and he always kept an eternal perspective and here he is with such joy in his heart and peace a peace that passes understanding because his trust and his rest was in the Lord personally and in the promise of eternal life which is in Christ Jesus and whenever that we feel imprisoned or in a pit or where it's difficult or things are dying around you, I want you to know that the promises that he wrote that we have in God's word are promises for you. That he promises to complete that work that he's begun in you. Even as the psalmist wrote 3,000 years ago, that he will perfect that which concerns you. He will be faithful to you and that you have the promise of eternal life. And as we keep that a priority in our hearts and tuck it away in our hearts day after day, that you too, just like Paul here is displaying in those difficult times, that you can have that joy. And even as we sang this morning, that the joy of the Lord is your strength and you can have that peace and assurance that only comes from the Lord. Ah, Timothy, the promise of eternal life. Timothy, a beloved son, he writes in verse 2, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And again, in his usual fashion, Paul uses the traditional Greek greetings of charis or grace, coupled with the traditional Hebrew greeting of shalom, which means peace. We have his grace, and we have his mercy, and we have his peace. We need that don't we, in the world in which we live in? And I thank God, verse 3, whom I serve with a pure conscience, 
as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, and greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Again, you can see the special relationship between Paul and Timothy. Paul loved Timothy dearly. You're a beloved son. I pray for you without ceasing day and night, Timothy. And I greatly desire to see you. How would you like to have Paul the Apostle praying for you day and night? What a wonderful thing uh, that any of us can do for one another is to pray for one another. Because God hears our prayers. It's a vehicle in which God works as we pray for others, as we lift them up to the Lord. And that was Paul's priority in his ministry is to pray not only for Timothy, but for others. And it's a great thing that we can do as we pray for our kids, as we pray for family members, as we pray for friends and brothers and sisters in the Lord. And we do that here at Calvary Chapel. We have ladies that get together and they pray. We have men that get together Saturday mornings at 7 o'clock, been doing it for years and years. And I am so grateful and very touched when I hear that they are praying for me. And they are praying for the leadership here and praying for this church. As the prayer requests come through the prayer chain that I know that people are praying for those who are hurting and those who have need. And here is Paul the Apostle in prison. And the first thing that he expresses is thanks to God. And then he says, Timothy, I pray for you day and night. I want to encourage you once again. When you can't sleep at night, don't count sheep. Go to the shepherd. Go to the shepherd. And be in God's word. And be praying for others. Even as Paul would say that redeem the time. And we can do that not only at night but during the day as well. As the Lord puts somebody on your heart. Just stop and pray for them for a moment. And Paul throughout his life was committed to praying not only as I mentioned to Timothy. But those in the church. And Paul desired to see Timothy being mindful of your tears. He writes in verse 4. And I think that Paul perhaps is referring to the last time that they would see each other. The tears that Paul would remember were the tears that would be shed by Timothy and probably by Paul that the last time that they said goodbye to each other. And at the end of the epistle, we will see that Paul will say to Timothy, that Timothy, come to me quickly. Bring my coat. It's cold here. Bring the parchments, Timothy. You sense and you just know that there's this deep bond and love between Paul and Timothy. You see, it's a deep bond and love that we can have with brothers and sisters in the Lord. It is so wonderful. It is so amazing. I am very grateful over the years of those that I've had the privilege to minister alongside of, to have those strong bonds that are there. I appreciate more and more those relationships and the years that the Lord has given us together. I am so grateful for this church family and for the body of Christ. 
And I pray and I hope that you do as well. That you're developing those relationships with others in the Lord. It is a deep bond and so special and unique that the world cannot have. It's only found in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 5, Paul calls to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded is in you also. I believe this is the first time the word grandmother is used in the scriptures. It may be the only time. But Timothy and his family came from the ancient city of Lystra, as you know, reading the book of Acts, where Paul would visit his first missionary journey. And when Paul and Barnabas were there, God would use Paul to heal a man who couldn't walk. And the people began to praise and worship, you know, them as Greek gods from Olympus. And the people were crying out, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And they were ready to sacrifice a bull to them. And it would be Paul and Barnabas that would cry out and say, hey, don't worship us. We're just mere men like you are. Turn away from those pagan deities. And turn to the true and the living God who created heaven and earth. And the Jews would then come along. They would stir the people up in Lystra. And, and as they did, they went, the people from wanting to sacrifice to Paul, to stoning Paul. It tells us in the book of Acts, as they stoned him, they dragged him out of the city and they left him for dead. Probably throwing them into the garbage heap because that's where it would be located, outside of the city. But as many of you know the story that God miraculously raised Paul up, preserved his life. And when you move into Acts chapter 16, Paul on a second missionary journey, he came again to Lystra, which would take great courage for him to do that. And there was a certain disciple there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish man who believed, but his father was Greek. And in Acts chapter 16 and in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul attributes Timothy's faith to the influence of his mother and grandmother, both of whom were believers. Timothy's father was a Gentile, probably wasn't a believer since there's no mention of him here or anywhere influencing his faith. There are Bible teachers and some that speculate or assume that Timothy was converted to the faith by the preaching of Paul the Apostle. And the reason that they have that assumption and it's made is because Paul calls Timothy his son in the faith. But I think that Paul uses that title for Timothy to mean a, a mentor-protege relationship. And what I see here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, what we read in verse 5, and what we will read in chapter 3, verse 15, when Paul says that, Timothy, you must continue in the Scriptures that you must continue the scriptures that you've known from childhood, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And I see very clearly that Paul is attributing Timothy's conversion to his mother and to his grandmother. It was a genuine faith that was in them. And Paul says, it's in you, Timothy. I just want to encourage all the moms that are here and fathers and grandmothers and grandparents, to you who are uncles, to you who are aunts, that you have the opportunity to minister to whoever it might be that's linked to you in your life, that you have a wonderful opportunity and privilege to impact them for the gospel. Mom and dads, grandparents, they impact your children, your grandchildren. 
for you to impact your nieces and nephews in a very godly way, to sit down with them and share the scriptures with them, parents to raise your children in the ways of the Lord, to talk to them about the things of the Lord, to talk to others what the Lord means to you, how he's blessed your life, to encourage them in the ways of the Lord and the things of the Lord, to pray with them, to pray for them, to have them see you be a godly man and to see you be a godly woman and how you have the joy of the Lord that is in your heart and gratitude and what the Lord has done for you because he's real in your heart. That's the greatest thing that we can do for our children and others as we minister to them, raising our children up in the faith. But I want to point out something that's very critical. We don't want to miss it. As I've already mentioned this, it was a genuine faith that was in his mother and his grandmother. Jesus was real in their hearts, and it was seen in their lives. You see, parents, you don't want to just minister to your kids and say, well, you need to go to church and you need to learn some Bible and it's not being worked out in your life. That you're living after the world or being carnal, you're being sinful. Your kids will see it. It will be a mixed message and it won't work. And for you younger people that have been raised up in a godly home or whoever it might be, as you perhaps were raised in a Christian home. Maybe you, you went to a church. Is your faith genuine? Because here's the thing. Paul says that your grandmother, your mother had genuine faith, and it's in you, Timothy. You can't rely on your parents' faith. You can't rely on the faith of the pastor. You can't rely on your spouse's faith. You will stand before God alone. <clears throat> Your parents won't be there saying, oh, he, she is with me. Okay, everything's all right. <laughs> Your spouse won't be there saying he or she's with me or I won't be there. You will be there alone. And the Lord knows everything about your heart. So can I ask you a question? Is your faith genuine? Is it real? Don't play games with your salvation. Because this is the most important decision that you will ever, ever make. It has eternal consequences. And if you are here and you're saying, I don't know if I really have genuine faith. Then the Lord is calling you to himself and he's saying, come to me and surrender your heart to me. Call out to me. Be forgiven. And come in faith to receive eternal life because today is the day of salvation. So Paul mentioning that genuine faith that is in you, Timothy, that I saw in your mom, your grandmother, and therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, verse 6, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Not only was genuine faith in your mother and grandmother and you, Timothy, but so stir up the gift of God, which is in you, or it literally means to fan the flame or to keep up full flame. With the storm coming in, many of you, perhaps, if you have a fireplace or you have a wood stove like, like we have in our home, 
that, that you'll have a fire. And you got to tend to that fire. You got to keep putting wood on it. You got to stir it up or it's going to go out. Well, the same thing is in our spiritual life. Paul has been reminding Timothy, don't neglect the gift. Stir up the gift, which was given you by prophecy and, and the laying on of hands. And in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, Paul was exhorting Timothy over and over again, continue teaching sound doctrine. Timothy, give attention to reading exhortation to doctrine. So we can assume that the gift that Paul is referring here to Timothy in both these epistles is the gift of teaching. And as you go through these two letters to Timothy, you will find no less than 25 different places where Paul is exhorting and encouraging Timothy to be bold, to continue in sound doctrine. Contrast that with those who are bringing in myths and fables and weird and strange doctrine. Timothy, you stir up the gift of God that is in you. You be bold in teaching truth. And we get the feeling that from these two letters that Paul's continuing instruction and exhortation to Timothy, he needed it to keep going, to keep fighting the good fight. That Timothy, that even though he was a man of God, and he was, but he was a bit timid at times. He has a daunting task of pastoring this church at Ephesus and not only dealing with those inside the church and bringing sound doctrine, but also the external forces coming against the church as Timothy knows that Christians are being put to death. It would be a few years after this that Timothy would be beaten to death in the streets of Ephesus. And I just suspect that Timothy, at this time, if we were to meet him in the first century, we would meet a man that had great faith. He was a man of love. He was a man that was committed to ministry, but he had some fears. And I can hear the heart of the apostle, and I can understand being a pastor myself in a culture that's coming more and more against the church and against Christians, those kinds of feelings that can take place with any of us. When we look at Paul, Paul was a man of great love for the saints and full of grace. Paul was one that he didn't shy away from confrontation. We see that clearly. He even would confront Peter, who was a pillar in the church. So Timothy had a shepherd's heart when it came to feeding the sheep, tending the sheep. But he ends 1 Timothy by saying, Timothy, guard that which has been entrusted to you, Timothy. You need to guard it. You need to stir up the gift. Don't neglect the gift that is in you, Timothy. And Timothy, perhaps was afraid in the days in which he was living in and the difficulties that came before him. And I can understand, and you understand, those fears that can come to you and to me. As we stand for the truth of God's word, as we stand for righteousness, and we know that we have to deal with those, maybe in our family, that are dear to us, to give them truth. Maybe perhaps we become fearful, you become fearful, because you have to deal with maybe a boyfriend or a girlfriend that is not a believer, and you know that the Lord has been speaking to you, and that when you do stand for the Lord and make him the priority of your life, that, that relationship very well is going to be severed. And pain's going to come into your heart. 
when you have to deal with your kids and give them truth and speak truth that's going to be hard for them to hear. And they say, I don't want anything to do with you, mom and dad. That is fearful. Or a friend. Or other family members. Or a coworker. When you stand for the truth, and we see, again, the world's coming against us, I can understand the heart of Timothy in this. As we have the pressure coming against us, the pressure that I can feel in the church of the challenges and what comes across my desk and, and things like that. Because this is way above me. And then the external pressures that come and in the emails that can come after I do a live show calling you just about every kind of negative name that can be called to you. Because you stood for truth. And I think that Timothy perhaps are saying, I, I love the Lord and I love being with you, Timoth uh, Paul, but I don't know about pastoring this church anymore. Because it is hard and it is difficult. Timothy, don't neglect it. Stir up the gift. And I think that Timothy was fearful at times because verse 7 tells us this. As Paul writes to him from this dark dungeon, he says, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of sound mind. We need to remember that as God gifts us and calls us to serve him, we don't need to fear. We don't have to fear man. We can become fearful. Even Paul the Apostle became fearful. Do you know that? Because in Acts chapter 18, when he was in Corinth, the Lord came to Paul and said, Paul, don't keep silent. Keep teaching. Keep bringing Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because I have many people in this city. And no one's going to hurt you, and I'll be with you. And that assurance was given to Paul the Apostle. You don't have to be afraid, Paul. And why would the Lord say that to Paul? Because he was afraid. We see people of faith that were afraid. We see Elijah, that mighty man of God in the Old Testament, that was one who called down fire from heaven. That Jezebel comes to him and says, I'm going to lop your head off. And he makes a run for it, runs clear down to Arabia, to the mountain of God. And I think that most of us, if not all of us, have faced situations, whatever it might mean for us, that we become fearful, we become anxious. And the Lord reminds us, as he speaks to Paul, and Paul writes this down, that we don't have to have the spirit of fear. But he's given us a spirit of power, first of all. That is, when we are doing his work and proclaiming his word and representing his kingdom, that we have his power backing us and we are safe in his hands. Secondly, he has given us a spirit of love. This tells us a lot about the power he has given to us. It isn't power in terms of how much we can control others. It is so that we can love others and serve others. 
And thirdly, he's given us a spirit of sound mind. The Greek word here is the idea of a calm, self-controlled mind in contrast to the anxiousness and confusion and the fear that can fill our hearts and our minds when we find ourselves in challenging, difficult situations. And here is Paul in this pit. He says, Timothy, my son, don't neglect the gift. He's going to say, you keep fighting the good fight. As a soldier of Jesus Christ, and he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for these opening verses of this epistle that we get the privilege to study over the next few weeks. And, Lord, I know that even as we enter into Thanksgiving and the Christmas season, that there may be some that are here that are fearful, that are afraid, for whatever reason it might be. And I am very thankful to you, Lord that we don't have the spirit of fear that you've given to us, that we can trust you, that you're going to be faithful, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work will bring it to completion, and that we have the promise of eternal life, and, Lord, that we can rest in your love. So, Father, I thank you for these reminders for us in our lives. And Father, I also thank you for those who have influenced our lives for the gospel, whether a parent or a friend or whoever it might be. And Lord, I pray that the faith that we have is a genuine faith. But I also want to pray for those who are here who perhaps is saying that I don't know if I have a genuine faith. Would you come? Would you call out on the Lord? And today is the day of salvation. Don't just assume that, well, just I've gone to church, I'm a good person, that you're saved. That doesn't save you. Have you made a commitment to Jesus Christ? And you can do that right now. And recognizing your need to be forgiven, that he is the source of eternal life forgiveness to bring you into right relationship with the Father. And as you call out to the Lord, he will hear you sincerely. You can pray, Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died for me on that cross and I have sinned. Forgive me. I believe that you rose again from the grave and you're alive speaking to me. And I ask that you sit upon the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior. This is my gospel now. Not just my parents or my friends or my spouse. It is mine. It's not the pastor. I believe in you, Jesus. I call out to you. And I pray that you would strengthen my faith. And I thank you for the promise of eternal life, for bringing me into the family of God that I can call out now, Abba, Father. And I thank you for this new beginning. And I do want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And if you did pray that prayer, as we have a prayer team coming up, I would ask that, that you would come up. Tell them the decision you made is we want to encourage you and bless you. But for all of us, 
Lord, may we have a heart of gratitude, confidence in you. I pray for those who may be traveling this Thanksgiving season. Keep them safe, especially as this weather's coming in. Or maybe you got family that's coming in or friends that, Lord, that you would protect them. That as we gather with others, that we truly be thankful for the blessings that you have bestowed upon us, for the body of Christ. And Lord, that this season of Thanksgiving and Christmas would truly be a season of joy and goodwill and peace that only comes from you. Bless everyone here as we go our way. In Jesus' name.